Welcome everyone to this week's Global Intelligence Update and this week we've got a prestigious guest with us, Neja Singh. And um, for those that don't know who Neja is, she is a generational diversity speaker, author of four generational books and columnist on staying a step ahead of Gen Next. Neja is a teenager or senior teenager, a millennial in spirit with the benefit of hindsight and uh, Neja speaks and consults on, on working with Gen Z, leading with social impact and, social, and suicide prevention and destigmatization. Uh, Neja uses his 37 years of media and education to help harness generational diversity at, at work and at home. A certified virtual presenter, she is a global convention speaker. We're not advocating generational teaming, assertive listening, and audacious aging. And Nija plays golf, does intercity cycling, and swims a kilometer at a time. Welcome, Nija. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you so very much. I'm delighted to be here and particularly to be able to speak on the subject. That's what yeah, I'm no. born with. Thank you. Oh, no, awesome. Thank you so much for making the time all the way from India. And... Um, quite an interesting topic that you got so if you don't mind i'd like to, to delve into it and uh, just ask you a few questions on on your topic so, so so on that first what what sparked my interest was ageism you know how, how has ageism changed today ageism now let's 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 take a look at it in 2010 let's go back a little uh, the baby boomer cohort. Uh, I am a part of the baby boomers. Uh, they are still a huge cohort. They were really, really uh, large in numbers. After them, successively, the generations kept getting smaller in size. And by 2050, what's going to happen is that the boomer generation, 50 and older, they are going to increase from 37% that was the statistic in 2020, to 45%. And similarly, the old age dependency ratio, that is going up. And what we mean by that is the people who are older and dependent on people who are in the work class age, which is traditionally considered 20 to 64. This is also projected to increase from 30% in 2020 to 50% in 2050. So imagine that is how ageism is shaping up. And the thing to take heart uh, from is that the global community is acting. That's how ageism is changing. There is advocacy for ageism. There is an awareness around it. And there's a brand new look and approach at this uh, ism, let's say. And the WHO, they re were requested by 194 of their member states to work with stakeholders and uh, lead a global campaign for ageism. So we are sitting right now, all of us, bang in the middle of the United Nations decade of healthy aging, which is from 2021 to 2030. It's a global collaboration. And it aligns with the last 10 years of the Sustainable Development Goals. So this is the context of ageism. 
and uh, we all are right now a part of uh, watching workplace diversity and inclusion happening uh, a positive aging movement taking place how the older people are adopting technology the fact that there are legal policy changes so most of the countries do not have age discrimination laws but that's changing and also remember all the intergenerational collaboration that is going on that's my core theme because i speak on generational diversity so that in brief is how ageism is changing as we sit and watch and participate in it oh wow well that's very interesting and um, i think not a lot of us know about this subject so thank you so much for sharing that um, you, you mentioned one stereotype there. What would you say are more common ages, stereotypes, and myths? There are a whole lot of them. And I, 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 I'm, I'm 61 at this time. And I remember when uh, I, jo I joined my piano lessons when I was 52. And uh, the instructor asked me, he gave me an up and down and he said, where is the child going to come from? He thought I had come there to seek admission for my son or a daughter or a child. And he wanted to know mm -hmm. how far do I live? Where is the child going to come from? I said, the child is not coming from anywhere. I am going to be your student. So this is just a very small, maybe a slightly frivolous example, but we face ageism uh, stereotypes all the time. So there is this uh, stereotype of uh, incompetence that as you grow older, you become, you're not as efficient, that your memory will begin to play tricks on you, that you take time to adopt technology. I know a whole lot of my friends who get irritated with their moms when they ask them to book a cab for them uh, with one of these apps, Uber, then uh, another very common stereotype is that older people resist change. But uh, the thing is that uh, thanks to technology, a lot of us are accessing the same material and we are gradually metamorphosizing into a generation that I call a V generation. And V generation is the virtual generation. We are not very different virtually. When we are on the screen, we are similar to each other. So there are a whole lot of older people who are quickly adopting technology. Uh, they are living longer. They're living healthy lives. Uh, they're learning new skills. I began learning golf when I was 56. Um, I learned two swimming strokes that I didn't know, the butterfly and the freestyle, very late in life. And there are a whole lot of these late bloomers let's say Colonel Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken, just to give an example. So the, 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 you know, the misconception that there's a lack of creativity, there have been, there are these people called the second time aces who bloom later in life. So these are some of the common misconceptions. Uh, that of course, there's also this uh, misconception that there is social isolation, but a lot of older people are using technology to stay connected with the community, with their family and friends, and uh, join, join communities that take up uh, interests that they feel strongly about. And of oh. course, the, the famous myth that they depend on other people to make decisions for them. 
these are myths and they're not just true only for the older people there are myths about the younger people also but given that we are talking about ageism and it's usually applied to the older people there you are yeah so so what i can take from that is that you can teach an old dog new tricks <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, they'll add a trick or two of their own, I can show you. Yeah, no, definitely. So um, touching then on your, your subject, um, what is the never right age bias problem? You're never the right age. Guess who is never the right age? First, they are too young to be responsible or to supervise. And later, they're too old to be hired for anything or anywhere new. Of course, it is the women. Yeah. Women are young or old, but there's never really a prime time. And uh, even when they're out for childbearing or rearing. So in that context, no age seems the right age to be a woman leader. And uh, here, young refers to, for reference, for purposes of reference, women under 40. Middle age would be between 40 and 60, and anyone over 60 is a senior or an older person. And there. And mostly it's uh, women in higher education or uh, nonprofits, healthcare, faith-based faith uh, careers that uh, seem to suffer from this never right age bias. It is changing, but our conditioning is so deep that it does show up even now. So you have gendered oldism. Men become wells of wisdom. What do older women become? Outdated. Or you have gendered youngism, that those who look young they will get patted on their head and they suffer from a role in credulity uh, mistaken for students or interns let's say trainees or there's a credibility deficit what's known as a lack of trust in their expertise and finally there is a middle ageism also middle ageism is when women are not hired because there is too much family responsibility on them, or they are menopausal, or they haven't aged well. They don't look vital enough. So never the right age bias. It's got more to do with gender here. That's what we are talking about. Wow. Wow. Okay, so um, then I've got a... a... Quite important question for those listening on the call as well. Uh, what would you say are some of the ways which organizations can combat this bias? So age, the age bias has been one of the least addressed, I think the least addressed biases out there. Uh, they say, research says that uh, large companies with more than 250 employees they report that only six percent of the employees are above age 64 and this statistic is from the american association of retired persons 
their employers serving. This was done in 2020. So even though the trend is changing and uh, more and more older people find employment, their talents are still underutilized in many countries and in many companies. And if no action is taken to improve, this is a very important, serious demographic shift that is going on, and it is going to affect everybody, young, old, middle-aged. So if no action is taken to improve the employment rates of all the age groups, population aging will reduce our living standards. So what is needed are the right practices, government support. Far more needs to be done to integrate the older people into uh, you know, uh, organizations so that the economic performances can be boosted. And specifically strategies. One is what we are doing here. We are talking on this subject and uh, people listening to this podcast, they become aware that this problem exists. There are hiring practices that uh, progressive companies are adopting. They are um, promoting age diversity actively. I recently did a masterclass for the employees of Adidas India, for instance. Although the subject was uh, working with Gen Z, for the first time, they were talking about different age groups and they had a panel discussion where they had four generations sit and uh, present their views on uh, different subjects. And uh, you also promote the benefits of a multi-generational team. For example, uh, talk about companies like Marriott Hotels, for instance. It is one of the best diversity companies in the world. And they very, very consciously done age-specific training, flexible work arrangements, uh, which is uh, doable uh, for uh, you know for all the age groups, then you combat the stereotypes very very actively. Mentorships, reverse mentorships. That's one more thing. Let's take the Democrats in the United States. Their multi generational leadership. They've been able to connect with a vast range of age groups, and that has shaped their policies and their agendas. So these are some of the success stories of multi-generational work of teams, of companies, of people who have implemented certain practices to benefit from age diversity. Also, uh, performance evaluations, let's say, a fair performance evaluation in companies where um, everybody is given their due and it's not age-based and all the ages are visible. And finally, one last thing is, and this is something common to life today, promote lifelong, lifelong learning. And why I say it's applicable to all of us is because in the entire life is because things are changing so fast. The skills you need are changing so fast. It would be a cliche to say that AI is upon us. So lifelong learning. That's another another way to boost, uh, to combat ageism, let's say. Wow, quite a lot of points you mentioned there. And you, you did touch this on a little bit on this, um, on my next question, is um, how is the population 
aging changing the workspace the, or the workplace? See, ageism or rising longevity, it is, um, it's really uh, changing the changing the entire dynamics of uh, lives of society. People go to school longer today. They are marrying later. They're less often. They also have children at later stages. And uh, their working lives are going beyond the mandatory retirement age. One of the grouses of the younger generation is that the older generation is not relinquishing control. And they're continuing to work into the senior years. So people continue to work full-time, part-time. Women are returning to work more often and faster after giving birth. And some men today are pausing their jobs to care for their children. Also remember that the traditional breadwinner model that is outdated. So these are the changing life patterns which require flexibility from employers, support from the governments, and shifting age-specific features actually demand a life-oriented approach. It's not just a, a structured career advancement. No, now it's not just about a certain number of years. It's about your entire life. That These are the transitions that are demanding a very, very fresh perspective on, uh, on age-related diversity. And longevity also has very crucial implications uh, for all the ages because uh, how do people spend their time in the entire life cycle? They reserve the later decades to do voluntary work or to care for their families. So when they live long, they also have time to contribute to society, even though they are formally inactive. And there is this myth that uh, because the old people don't retire, the young lose out on jobs. The thing is that uh, young and old workers are not substitutes, but they're actually complements. So this, it's, it's, there's a term for it. It's called lump of labor argument. And uh, the relationship between younger people's employment and that of older workers, they say, does not have a crowding out effect because essentially their skills are different. So an older person will always be substituted by an older person. And it's not that a young can substitute. So they have different skills, they have different experiences, and uh, population aging is impacting the workplace in many other ways. We talked about the multi-generational workforce, knowledge transfer and retention. That's become an area of focus today. Because as older people retire, companies are actively taking steps to put into place transfer programs for critical knowledge that can be passed on to the next generation. Yeah, health and wellness programs. Yes, health and wellness programs, mm -hmm. retirement planning, all these are 
little, little, little subsets that come under, you know, uh, conscious, conscious uh, ways of addressing this new phenomena that we all face. Then, um, Nigel, then what are some of the future age diversity trends that um, one can expect to see? Well, the first one is that uh, the upper age boundary of working life, it used to be, so far we've used 65 as a reference point. That mm -hmm. will increase substantially. Today we define it as a working age to be from 20 to 64, but because there is low fertility, populations continue to age, the share of the population at ages 20 to 64 will drop. At 65 and older will grow, which puts pressure on the pension systems and the living standards. So what's going to happen is the definition of the prime working years age span is going to increase at least by six years by 2050. So the prime working years from 26, 20 to 64 will begin to be defined as 20 to 70. Because the definitions that companies follow today of working ages are not applying. They seem antiquated, antiquated, antiquated. Okay. Um, so more fluid working lives. This will lead to, there will be more fluid. Our working lives will have greater agility, flexibility. We may be working on four different careers at the same time. We may shift from one career to the other. We may reinvent ourselves constantly. These are all the possible future age, uh, age diversity trends, extended years, retirement age, we just spoke of, and uh, intergenerational collaboration will continue to be a big thing. It'll, it'll grow, it will need greater focus, it will be discussed and applied far more. And one more thing, age-inclusive technology design. This is another future trend. Yeah. Also remember that a lot of older people are turning entrepreneurs. I'm a solopreneur. This is my fifth career. So entrepreneurship amongst the older people. And last, silver economy. Silver economy is coming of age. So you have dating apps for the older people, Skechers shoes, uh, or the only regenerist uh, cream. And uh, this myth that the old people do not like fashion, that's a myth. <laughs> I mean, look at my glasses. These are my web spectacles. I love them. Yeah. Now oh, they look good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. These are, these are the future trends that we're likely to see. Okay. So those trends and scenarios you just mentioned, how would one get ready for the longevity of uh, the future? So the premise there would be that uh, ageism is happening because the aged are in a manner allowing it to happen. So this is not blaming the victim thing, but it's 
the onus to prepare for the longevity future is really with people who are growing older. And remember that this is one ageism, this is one diversity that is going to affect everybody. You have gender diversity, you have socioeconomic, all of that. This particular diversity, nobody escapes. Everybody is going to get older. So the way to prepare for this is, of course, continuous learning, skill development, financial planning. You have to afford, you have to be able to afford to get older. There are countries like Japan that have actively invested in financial planning because there are situations which are unique. There's a term in Japan. Japan is called Kodukushi. It's a term, it's called uh, isolated, solitary death. Older people dying alone and remaining undiscovered for several days at a stretch. Yeah. So they haven't prepared for longevity. Financial planning is one. One is health and wellness and networking. Entering into community relationships through mentoring reaching out, contributing, volunteering, staying tech savvy. And also how do you uh, integrate your work and your life and prepare for these transitions? Because if you are going to go back to work, it's a big transition. Uh, so very, very active kind of uh, uh, preparation. Uh, including legal, estate planning, uh, living will, which the earlier generations did not do. They did leave a lot that had to be cleared up by their kith and kin. But today, and a lot of young people are doing it, a lot of older people are doing it. They're, they're clearing up things. They're managing their affairs. They're um, making arrangements for their own uh, funerals so that Everything is neat and tidy, and when they go, it's uh, it's an order, and they don't leave chaos behind. So, and all this to do with the what what is called a positive mindset. This this, this is not yeah. a kind of a, yeah these are you know this is not a kind of life that our ancestors actually lived because longevity what was what was the the life expectancy it was very different. Yeah. So these are some of the ways you can prepare. Yes. Well, no, thanks for sharing. And um, how would how would we do or how would we use longevity as an opportunity for sageism? And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It is uh, sageism. Sageism. Yeah. Now, on an average, today's older adults, uh, we are here on this call, some of us, they are healthier, better educated than any generation before. And this trend is going to continue. And many of them, they will work or they will plan to carry on working well past, like we just discussed, the traditional retirement ages. So this is the time for what I call the modern elder, someone who grows whole, W-H-O-L-E, and not old. So the modern age needs a senior who marries wisdom and experience with curiosity, a beginner's mind, and a willingness to learn from those younger. And uh, the reverse flow, 
of this human resource also matters, which is why we talk about two-way mentorship. Many older people today are caregivers for family, for friends, for instance, grandparents. They play an important role in supporting their children. So a sizable number, they give their time to community welfare work. And uh, many of them guide adolescents or at-risk boys, just to give an example, helping them reach productive adulthood. These are the kind of modern elders that we need, the sages. The sages. So we're not talking ageism here. We're talking about sagism. Older people who can help prepare the next generation to lead. So what will help today is for the young to have an accurate understanding of the phases of life cycle, that these are the phases of life cycle, the life cycle, and we are also going to go through these. And for the elders, uh, what the elders need to do is uh, work towards a successful outcome of the aging process. And what it will involve is self-esteem, self-efficacy, and locus of control. And uh, there's a quote I want to share with you. Uh, this is by Dr. Neil, uh, Robert Neil Butler, who said, he defined, in fact, he's the person who coined this word ageism. He said, ageism is a preventable, but silent and repetitive killer. So we need to challenge that. We cannot permit it to be that way anymore. And October 1, incidentally, October 1 has been marked by WHO as a World Elder Day. And uh, elderhood is going to arrive, whether we like it or not. And uh, it's like any other type of diversity, but it's also a condition that unites us. So yeah. this is where sagism, sagism, ageism can be about sagism. Okay. Um, then you, you mentioned technology in uh, one of the previous questions that I asked. How, how will technology influence the age diversity and the interaction? Now, what's happened uh, over the past uh, decade or so, there is a, something called a job polarization. What it means is that the middle skilled jobs are re relative to the higher and the lower skilled jobs, they have reduced. And what this is doing is, particularly in automation, uh, sorry, particularly because of automation, uh, many of these jobs, 14% of existing jobs could disappear. So in effect, every second job could be affected. So what we are seeing is the level of technology per hour worked and this is research, it has more than quadrupled in majority of the countries. So the new technologies help new business models, innovative ways of working are emerging. Uh, that gives us greater flexibility. They're also changing the way we collaborate. Technology is affecting teamwork. Teamwork is the most affected work skill, thanks to technology. So networked ways of working. Effectively, 
they say that this leads to something called the hidden team. It's setting up undefined work groups. So you have all these apps around which we gather. Very different from the traditional team structure. And uh, technology is helping us uh, bring around digital inclusion, communication, social networking. Of course, we have our remote working flexible arrangements and elderly care technologies. That's another thing. We have health monitoring apps, wearable devices, uh, smart home devices. Then online learning and skill development, you could constantly be doing courses, which is something I love doing. I do it on a regular basis. We just discussed how lifelong learning is so crucial to effective aging. But essentially collaborative platforms. And uh, of course, you can also use uh, digitization to volunteer, to stay connected with family. There, and there are a whole lot of uh, companies today, like I talked about Silver Economy, who are really focused on creating age-friendly designs. So this is how technology is likely to affect, not likely to affect, it is affecting yeah. age, age, effective aging, positive aging, audacious aging. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, technology has skyrocketed in the last 20 years. Um... Very impressive things that have happened, I have to say. And it, it impacts every part of our life, in today's life. Um, I've, I've got a comment here from Aura that says, I think there has been a deep misunderstanding of age just as there has been about human health. So happy to hear about this expansion. Absolutely. Thank you, and uh, it, there, there has been, uh, but... Uh, I think uh, mankind, humans are evolving. The younger generation wants greater uh, accountability, transparency. They, they want us to be fair. Um, we've gone through a stage of life where we were, you know, talking, our, our lives were about survival, about earning a livelihood. But now younger people uh, are looking for a stake in life. They're talking about impact and uh, the values have changed because the circumstances have changed. And we're not talking about populating Mars. So and this is something uh, really admirable about the next generation that we need to learn from them. And uh, ageism is beginning to be addressed in a compassionate, fair manner, thanks to the new awareness on uh, inclusivity and respecting diversity giving giving everybody a chance giving everybody a voice we have been a very violent uh, repressive species in the past you can uh, always justify it by saying that it was all about survival but we've entered a new stage now and i like to think that there is hope ahead and that there's reason to keep faith yeah no definitely i agree always to be positive and and I have hope in the future. Uh, Felice got a, a great question here. He says, how do, how, do you, how do one stay healthy and work until 70 plus? How does one do it? Uh, one does it if one has decided uh, to do it. One stays disciplined. Uh, one uh, nurtures oneself. One just uh, wants to uh, 
contribute this this you know there's a fear of being left behind today with some older people i've heard a friend say technology scares me but um, i think the only way to move is forward and to keep up the momentum that's life life has always been about moving ahead keeping the momentum up so i think it's uh, a question of motivating oneself and uh, just telling yourself to count it as an advantage that uh, longevity is possible that you have so many years to to do perhaps what uh, your your earlier your parents would probably have had that luxury um i think also with that adding on that um i've i'm a little bit back in a nutritional background and um i think you need to have a proper diet as well you know eat Absolutely. healthy food earthly food um all these oils and and toxic fast foods that we have today but it's it's oh. very interesting yeah Chris, all that will come under your discipline, right? Self-discipline is about your wellness, your health, your habits, your the, which covers nutrition. Certainly, absolutely, because uh, and a lot of older people are doing that. I see that around me. I see that with my you know siblings, my friends, um, other people in my circle. They take care, and they know today that uh, they they really are the practice of having your family take care of you. It's not happening that way anymore because uh, children are traveling abroad, they're studying, they're going far away from home. Uh, not many people are living in those close communities. And it's a question of uh, not wanting to depend on anybody or not, not wanting to be in a situation where you are, somebody else has to take care of you. Nobody, nobody likes that. So people, people are making a conscious effort, I think. More and more people are being, you know, getting aware of the fact that this is a, yeah. Definitely, I, I agree with that 100%. Um, Aura here has another comment saying, I think so much depends on our investment in enterprising and the way we engage ourselves as human beings rather than strictly as professionals. Are we able to be alive in our, uh, in our work or do we think ourselves as service agents, undervalued employees? Beautiful. Very good. Mm. Beautiful. Very, very good. Absolutely. On spot. Yeah. And uh, Rada also says, um, and to surround yourself with like-minded people. Yeah. Your community. Absolutely. Your community. Very true. <laughs> Rada says, uh, uh, sorry, Nija. Uh, Rada says she's she's got a plan to live to 105 years. <laughs> 105. You, you would have see, watched that uh, the serial serial on netflix the blue zones oh yeah Watch, yes so that, that's it, mm. it, that's exactly what we're talking about so no retirement plan, no retirement plan at all <laughs> yeah um, if there's any other questions or comments that you guys would like to make you're more than welcome to unmute yourself and um and ask Nisha as well or you can just put it in the comment box um more than welcome Nisha if there's anything you'd like to add on you're also more than welcome to there's that uh aura wants to say something hi Nisha I just hi, hi Aura. I just wanted to share that um I'm 72 
and I'm still very active, but I've moved out of the social domain because I find that the social domain is much slower in its ability to grow in appreciation. And so there's sort of a lethargic waiting period that people of my age, and especially being a woman, seem to have to endure in order to be effective unless we go solopreneuring, et cetera. And the other interesting thing is that as we, as I travel around the world, I discover that the respect for age and the cultural conscious, conscience of age is very different. We seem to be dominated by a Western belief about aging that is um, contaminating our capacity to thrive in every moment of our arc of life. And so that's a, that's a big issue for me as I move forward in my, in my work is not only to disavow the idea that at 70, you're supposed to look a certain way, feel a certain way, think a certain way, be a certain way, have a certain amount of money. You know, all those things are variables, but the life that's inside me is what is priceless. Absolutely, absolutely, or absolutely. Very, very yeah. true. And uh, we, we tend to say this, or I, I just have one point to make. We do uh, categorize things as Western or Eastern. Or I understand what you're saying, but uh, today we are also hyper-connected that those same values, whether it is Western or developed world or whatever you want to call it, it's permeating the rest of the world. So it's going everywhere. And in time, I think it's just a matter of technology and the way lives are evolving, the way our systems are working. And particularly now, again, we can talk about the AI that are, you really have to be prepared to be proactive about your aging. So the onus is on me to step up. That's what I feel. A lot of people ask me, why doesn't the younger generation uh, make the attempt to connect? But um, I do believe that's the onus is on us. The onus is on the older generation. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. And um, thank you for everyone attending the, the live webinar. Thank you to everyone watching on the podcast or even on the replay. And then, uh, of course, Neja, thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, this is our, our second last Global Intelligence Update for the year. Next next week will be our last one. Um, so we're quite excited to get 2024 on the way and uh, make it another prosperous and successful year. So um, if there's anything else anyone wants to ask or, or add on, now's your chance. So challenge the cult of youth. The cult of youth is going. Don't, don't have to don't have to continue to want to look younger. That has to be a compliment. It still is considered, you know, people look at you and say, oh, you're looking so young. It's, it's all right to look your age. It's all right to grow gray. It's all right to become a fashion model at 60 and walk the ramp. And there are a whole lot of people who are doing that. And um, I think these are exciting times that we live in. Definitely. Definitely. Awesome. So thank you again. And um, I hope everyone has a great week ahead. We'll, we'll see you guys then next week. Thank Bye you everyone. very much. Thank you. Bye-bye, Chris. <laughs>